page 770. And it'll also be helpful to have your outline open in front of you. On the inside of that uh, supplement that you received as you came in. Acts chapter 1, and we're actually looking at verses 9 to 11. We've done verses 1 to 8 last week. I'll lead us in prayer. Well, Father, please do speak to us as we read your word. And please help us to see afresh uh, the, the glory of our Lord Jesus, and who he is and what he's done and, and what he's going to do. And help us live our lives. Um, in accordance with that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are hip and cool and up with the latest pop stars and media celebrities will know about someone called Jennifer Lopez. I know something about her too, but only because I looked her up on Wikipedia. I found that she's just over a week older than me, and just a little bit better looking. She's an American Golden Globe Award-nominated actress, Grammy Award-nominated singer, songwriter, dancer, and, in addition to all that, a fashion designer. Now, the reason I'm telling you about J-Lo is because I want to tell you about a song she sings. It's about a guy who breaks up with a girl, and the chorus goes like this. He'll be back. To make up for the lonely days, he'll be back. When things ain't working out his way, he'll be back. When he sees it's not the same, he'll be back. 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 He knows he's going to need his lady. He'll be back. When his boys say he must be crazy, he'll be back. He'll know he made a big mistake. He'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. It's like some of our Christian songs, isn't it? <laughs> well, in the passage that we're looking at today, we're going to see Jesus leaving his disciples. And the promise that they're given is, he'll be back. Though unlike the man in the song, it's not going to be because things don't turn out for him where he's going. It's not coming back with his tail between his knees. He's coming back in glory and triumph. For unlike the man in the song, he's not leaving a broken relationship. His his going is a good thing, a great thing in fact. It's his triumph, his exaltation. The culmination of his victorious work up to this point. But he will be back. Those of you who are with us last week will know that we've just started a new series in the book of Acts. And last week we saw how how the book started. You may recall that the book is about what, what Jesus continued to do after his death and resurrection and ascension through the apostles, upon whom he had poured out the Holy Spirit. Now in our passage last week, Jesus had been killed, but he had been raised to life, and he was still appearing to his disciples over this period of 40 days. He was teaching them about how the scriptures pointed to himself. I was giving them explicit instructions about what they were meant to do after he was gone. Uh, they were going to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were, they were baptized in the Spirit. and Because being baptized in the Spirit, we saw, was all about becoming part of the spiritual people of God. And God was 
about to begin the process of restoring Israel, of, of rebuilding his people, his, his spiritual people. It will start when they were baptized with the Spirit. And the process of building the spiritual people would begin in Jerusalem, the city of the great king. And then it would expand to Judea and Samaria, the, where, where Judah and Israel were in the Old Testament, so that the nation would be spiritually reunited. And then God's salvation would go out to the ends of the earth, as the prophet Isaiah had said. So as we saw last week, Jesus said to his disciples in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. Now we saw the significance of the Holy Spirit's power last week in terms of uh, empowering God's people to continue the work of the servant. We won't go into that again this week. But look at today a little bit more closely that statement of Jesus where he says, You will be my witnesses. So the first... Uh, the first heading that we're looking under is about Jesus and his witnesses. Because it tells us something about the role of the apostles, that statement, and also something about the identity of Jesus. First of all, the role of the apostles and the meaning of the word witness. Now, a witness is someone who saw something and can testify to it happening. So, if you're at the car park of a restaurant in KL when the uh, EBS team came out last year, not this year, last year, you would have witnessed Tim backing the van into a wall. Right? Or something like that. Now, you've also witnessed Lynn, who got married just, we saw her picture just now, um, guiding him right into it. Come, come, come. Okay? That's a warning for Alvin, isn't it? (laughs) You would be a witness. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. They are the ones who spent time with him, lots of time. They knew exactly what he was like. They saw all that he did, and he heard all he taught. They spent their time with him, They're eating and talking and learning, even after the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses who could vouch for him, who could tell the world, yes, yes, this Jesus taught this, this Jesus claimed this, this Jesus did this, this Jesus rose from the dead, and we saw him, we touched him. And many of them would seal their testimony with their blood. They were his witnesses, and the people authorized by Jesus to take his message to the world. You are my witnesses, Jesus told them. And so in the book of Acts, a witness is not just anyone telling someone else about Jesus. Often in, in modern Christianity, when we want to say we've told someone about Jesus, we say we've witnessed to them, don't we? Right? But that's, that's how the word is used in, in Acts. Right? We can, of course, testify to what God has done in our lives, and that's, that's, that's a powerful thing. The most important thing, the central thing we need to tell people is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we're not eyewitnesses of that as such. So we don't witness like the apostles in the same way. They were unique witnesses and and we're relying on their witness still today. They continue to bear truth. They continue to bear witness to Jesus wherever the truth that they passed on is read or heard or spoken. So when you tell your friends about Jesus, when we read his story together, when I, when I preach about what he said and did, we're not witnessing in the same way as the apostles. We are passing on the witness of the apostles. And like them, we continue the work of the servant, as, as we saw last week, to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. But they are the witnesses. Our job is to hear, to believe, to pass on their witness. And as we do, then the words of Jesus to them continues to come true. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. For all of the apostles to bear witness to Jesus. The second thing that statement, you will be my witnesses, does, it also tells us something about the identity of Jesus himself. Because when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, he's not just making up something, the words. He would have known full well, and his disciples would have known full well, that, that he was echoing something that's written in the Old Testament. Because those are the exact words that Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to his people in Isaiah 43. Have a look at it with me on the screen. Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? You see what's going on here? Yahweh says to his people, You are my witnesses. You know who I am, what I've done. You know there is no God apart from me. I am God, there is no other. I have no rivals. And you all Israel know this because I've shown you over and over again. I've spoken to you. The events of your history bear it out. I, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel, am creator and ruler of all. The only true God, there is no one else. You are my witnesses. You can tell the nations, turn away from your idols, O you nations. Worship Yahweh. He's the one true God. Really, truly we know because we are his witnesses. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? You are my witnesses. Because what Yahweh was to the Old Testament people of God, Jesus is to the new, our King and our God. You are my witnesses, Jesus said to his apostles. And so friends, whenever we bring the witness of the apostles to people, let's remember whose witness they are. They are witnesses of the risen Christ. They are witnesses that he is God and there is none other. Their witness was all about him. The only one worthy of worship, the one who has no rivals, the one to whom every knee must bow. The witness of the apostles was, was Jesus. The message they carried was all about him. You see, sometimes Christian preachers or evangelists can, can make out that the message really is about us. Or about something nebulous. You ever come across that? Everything about me and my needs and how I want things to be, and then Jesus comes in to fix it up. Sometimes it's so bad it doesn't even need to be Jesus. Because there's no connection with what the evangelist or the speaker says with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's nothing to do with the historical Jesus. You could preach the same sermon in a different religious context and substitute the word Jesus for some other deity and it works just as well. You've got a problem? XYZ can help you. Come, I'll pray for you and you'll be touched by XYZ and XYZ will give you whatever you need. You'll solve your problems. You know, in the Christian context, XYZ, put Jesus. In another religious context, substitute the deity of your choice. Friends, Jesus is compassionate and he does help those who call on him. And so God in his mercy does respond to our prayers. But, but passing on that message is not evangelism. The message we bring, the gospel we proclaim, is not a generic gospel. 
It's not about an XYZ, substitute the name you please. It's about a specific person, one man, who lived in history and lives on in heaven. It's about the historical Jesus, the real Jesus who really died on a cross for our sins and really rose again from the dead and really ascended into heaven. It's about the one who can truly forgive my sin and yours and grant us a clean slate on the judgment day. It's about the God made flesh who has a real rightful claim on my life. It's about the God man who was experienced in the flesh by the apostles of old. Jesus said to his disciples, you are my witnesses. And the witness we've received from the apostles and the apostolic witness that we pass on is solid testimony to the unique, particular, historical Jesus who is alive and active today. Not airy-fairy, generic stuff that could be about anyone. The apostles are the witnesses to Jesus Christ. And it's their witness that we are to proclaim to the world. Now can I just get someone to adjust the microphone for me to make it a little bit louder? Is that okay? Because I'm going to talk so close to the mic. Make sure I can hear me at the back. Is that better? Can you hear me a little bit more? A little bit more. A little bit more. Is, that, is that better those who are sitting at the back? Okay, thanks. Did you hear everything I said before? Shall I start again? No. Oh, okay. Now, after Jesus had appointed... Uh, the apostles as his witnesses, the time for him to depart came. And that's the event that we refer to as the ascension. We read about it in verse 9. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Now what does this mean? Jesus often appeared and disappeared, didn't he, after his resurrection? Uh, his resurrection body seemed to be able to materialize and dematerialize at will. Perhaps one way of thinking about it is that he, he enters and leaves our dimension at any special point that he wishes. Well, let me illustrate that for you. Imagine you drew a house on a piece of paper. Right? Now, for some reason, after drawing that house, you want to put the tip of your pencil in the house. You don't actually have to come through the door of the house, do you? Right? You can just put it straight on and take it straight off again. Then you can put it somewhere else in the paper or just leave it off the paper. doesn't matter. To someone who lives in the two-dimensional world of the paper, it will seem as if the pencil is just appearing and disappearing, materializing and dematerializing, but that's only because they're limited by their dimension. Now, this particular idea of how the, this might have worked with the resurrection of body of Jesus is, of course, just speculative. We don't know. But what's very clear is that he's not bound by our normal limitations of space. So if that's the case, we mustn't think of the ascension of Jesus as necessary from a transportation point of view. Right? He didn't go up into a UFO or something like that and fly off. Right? Neither did he literally fly up into heaven. Right? He didn't need to, he could have just disappeared. So that can't be the reason why he left the way he did. So why did he? What's the point of ascending in this way? Well, there are four things, I think, uh, that Jesus does by, by doing this and we can group them under four headings all beginning with the letter C don't usually do this but I thought we could do it today so anyway first of all it brings closure to his time on earth right? there's, a, there's a definite end point to his appearance uh, 
doesn't mean that he would never again appear on earth, but it's no longer expected. In fact, even when he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, he does so from heaven, not walking around like he did in those 40 days. And as we see from, from verse 11, the next time we expect to see him here on earth is when he comes again in the same way, his second coming, which we'll talk about later. And so the fact that Jesus ascends into heaven brings, brings closure to his time on earth. It, it wouldn't have come by just disappearing again and then just not coming back. <coughs> the second point comes to light when we try to figure out the cloud. Why the cloud? Is it to hide the UFO that came to take him away? Well, not likely, isn't it? So, so what's the meaning of the cloud? Well, friends, the cloud in the Bible symbolizes the presence of God himself. Right? Remember how God led the Israelites out of Egypt with a cloud by day. Remember how the cloud filled the tabernacle and later the temple when, when God's presence entered it. It was the cloud. Remember how the cloud covered Mount Sinai and God spoke from there to Moses and to Israel. Remember how the cloud came and covered Jesus and Moses and Elijah at the time of the transfiguration and the voice of the Father came. This is my son, listen to him. The cloud shows the presence of God. And so the fact that Jesus went up into the cloud is meant to signal to his watching disciples that he has gone into the presence of the Father. He's entered the throne room of heaven. So if anyone asks, where is Jesus now? The answer is, he's in heaven. He's made present to us by his Spirit, whom he has poured out upon us, and his Spirit is here with us on earth, but Jesus is actually in heaven. He's with the Father. And he's coming back one day to wrap up history and judge the world. But for now, he's in heaven. And so we say in our creed, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. There's another significance to the cloud, which we'll see in a moment, but before we get there, let's ask the other question, which brings us to the third C. Why is the course that he takes in an upward direction? Why does he ascend? Why, why, why the vertical course? Why not have the cloud just cover over him like the transfiguration, and then when it goes away, he's, he's gone? Well, the fact that Jesus ascends into heaven suggests exaltation, doesn't it? The fact that he's been given the highest place, as we sang earlier. The Apostle Peter would later write that, that he has gone into heaven and is seated at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. He's gone up. The Apostle Paul would write that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And so the ascension, the, the raising up of Christ, indicates his, his exaltation. And that impression is confirmed when we remember that he went up in a cloud and you put two and two together and you remember our Old Testament reading today. Remember Daniel 7? We saw all the different beasts who ruled the world, and yet God's judgment came upon them. Their power was taken from them, and instead it was given to one like a son of man. And this son of man was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples and, and people of every language worshipped him. 
And it says that his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And remember how he came to the Ancient of Days, called the Father himself? He came on the clouds of heaven. And so here in Acts, we're looking, as it were, at Jesus leaving in the clouds, and we, and we see in Daniel Jesus arriving in the clouds, on the other side, on the clouds of heaven, to, 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 to the Ancient of Days, where he's, where he's given the kingdom. And so his ascension in the cloud shows that, that he has indeed been exalted to the highest place, that he's indeed the Son of Man, the, the King of God's kingdom. And one day that kingdom will be revealed in all its glory, in every Nibah, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <coughs> but there is more. There is one more reason why it's important that he didn't just disappear. Because if we did, then we wouldn't know if he was physical or spirit. Because remember, he ascended in his human body, didn't he? It's corporal, that's the fourth C. Which simply means in the body. Okay, I use corporal instead of bodily there to get that fourth C. And you know what corporal punishment is, right? You get whacked in your body, right? And Jesus' resurrection was corporal in the body, and his ascension was corporal in the body. See, he doesn't just disappear because he wants us to see that. He wants us to know that it is as a human being he has gone into heaven. He doesn't just become a spirit and leave his body behind and ascend into heaven. He ascends into heaven as a man, a full, living, breathing human being. So Jesus is both God and man. He never gave up his manhood in the resurrection and ascension. See, I used to think that Jesus became a man in the incarnation and then stopped being a man in his ascension. Now, well, friends, I was wrong. Nothing in the Bible to suggest that. Everything points the other way. Jesus is still God. Jesus is still human. In fact, he's the only one who's truly human because he's more human than you and I because we're fallen human. He's perfect human. And so now we have a man ruling the world. He's what God originally intended, didn't he? Remember Genesis 1? When God made man in his own image to, to rule the world, but then we sinned and mucked up and instead of ruling the world under God, we rebelled against him and made a mess of it. Well, the ascension of Jesus to God's right hand, the place of power and rulership, means that once again, a human being is ruler of the world. Because Jesus is all that humans were meant to be. He is all that God's people are meant to be. And so it is as son of man, the true people of God, the true man of God, he reigns over everything. And so as loyal subjects of his kingdom, we can have confidence to live in this world because we know that whatever happens in this world, he is on the throne. Now there are other implications of the ascension which we're not going to look at today. Uh, later on, the writer of the Hebrews would use the fact that Jesus ascended to show that he's our high priest who understands us uh, because he too is human, but that's not really the, pas the point in this passage. Uh, the uh, fact of the ascension is very closely linked to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but we'll look at that when we get to Acts 2. Uh, there's one more, though, implication of the ascension that, G that, that Luke does draw attention to here in this chapter. And it's the fact that the risen, ascended Jesus will return. He'll be back. 
That's the message that's given by the angels of the scene, verse 10 and 11. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Jesus went to heaven, but he'll be back. And he'll come back in the same way as they saw him go. And since Jesus ascended as a glorified human being, he will return as a glorified human being. Physically, in his resurrection body. Not in some vague way, like in someone's memories. Now, not spiritually. The coming of the Spirit is different from the second coming of Christ. You know, two separate things. Not by reincarnation, where he's not going to come back as someone else, the next religious guru, as if that could happen anyway. Right? And he's certainly not come back as a baby and just grow up. Like you know, It's not like that. He's coming again in glory, in his resurrection body, on the clouds, as the Son of Man, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This Jesus will come back from heaven in the same way as he went into heaven. So what did all this mean for the apostles? Well, I'm sure they would have understood what it meant because Jesus had already explained it to them. I'm sure they would have remembered the various parables he told them about this, and I'm sure Theophilus, the original reader of this document, would have remembered them as well. Like the one going back to volume 1 in Luke's Gospel, where there's a nobleman who goes off into a far country, there's a parable, be made king, and he goes off for a long time, and when he comes back, eventually he does two things. He either rewards or rebukes his servants, depending on what they did with what he left them, and secondly, he destroys his enemies who didn't want, them to, didn't want him to be made king. Well, you can read about it at home. It's in Luke 19, 11 to 26. It's on your handouts. Uh, the reference is there. So, so, so for the apostles, and for those who continue to spread their witness, right? it means there's, there's a deadline, isn't it? There's, a, there's an end of the race. It's like doing a course with an exam at the end. Jesus, the risen, ascended king, will come back to claim his kingdom. Uh, Jesus has given their, his instructions about being his witnesses, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and then he's going to return to claim his kingdom. The Son of Man was coming again, and they would give an account to him about what they'd done. So that's a big implication for the apostles. But what about us? What does it mean for us? Well, again, things that we've discussed today, have, I think there's three things depending on who we are. First of all, if we're not yet believers, it's a warning. Jesus is the exalted king. He is God. And so we must bow the knee and worship him. We must give our lives to him in service. He deserves it. He's the, he's the risen, ascended king. And those who continue to rebel against him will be destroyed. Secondly, if we're believers, it's a stimulus to work. We all have a part to play in the spread of the message of Jesus. Like the apostles, we continue in the work of Jesus not as witnesses in the primary sense, but to take the apostles' message out to the ends of the earth. And we know from the apostles that Jesus died for our sins. We know that he rose again. We know that he is king and his kingdom will endure. We know that he's coming back. We know that we'll give an account to him of what we have done with what he has given us. We all have a part to play in the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. A different part, not all the same, but... Let's make sure we're playing our part. Because we're accountable to the Lord Jesus, who will return 
for, for what we've done with what he's given us. Thirdly, if we're struggling believers, then what we've been reminded of today is meant to be a great comfort to us. Because the return of Jesus will be the end of our pain and struggles. He will indeed judge the world with justice. He'll put all wrongs right. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But the old order of things will be done away. But in the meantime, as we wait for that day, we know that, that Jesus is still the ascended and reigning King. He is Lord, and nothing can change that. And so we can have confidence that He is on the throne. No matter what trials we face, no matter what persecution we endure, no matter what, Jesus is a Lord. As we read on in the book of Acts, we'll see how he exercised the Lord, his Lordship in, in all the events of that book. And one day we'll be able to look back and, and see how he exercised his Lordship in all the areas of our lives. Maybe things that we face now that we go through, we, we can't understand. But on that day, we'll be able to look back at our lives and, and see how Jesus, the Lord, the King, ruled over all things. The good, the bad, even the ugly for our ultimate good and through it all brought us safely to the other side where he reigns in splendor and on that day every knee will indeed bow and every tongue confess that, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father let's pray Father, we thank you that not only have you raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, but you have exalted him on high and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. We thank you that he is indeed coming back again to judge the world. That he's coming back the way he left. And we thank you that uh, we can look forward to that. We can hope in that. Um, and we, we pray that you will help us to also live our lives in light of that, uh, knowing that we are accountable to him, and so that in all that we do, in our families, in our work, uh, in the ministries that you've given us, uh, that in all we do, that we wouldn't do it, just simply do it, but, but remember that one day um, we, we, are, we, we will stand before the Lord Jesus, um, and explain what we've done with what he's given us. Um, help us, we pray, to live in light of that day. We ask in his name. Amen.